This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Discussing the Kingdom of Gods by N.K. Jemisin, where the longing for connection battles with the desire to stay true to oneself and the fear of dying alone. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today we are discussing The Kingdom of Gods by N.K. Jemisin, book three of the Inheritance Trilogy. Getting into our factions, we have Sia, Dakarta, and Shahar. Uh, if you were here for episode two, this is a different Dakarta who is named after the one from the Broken Kingdoms. I think it's, we have. I don't remember if we mentioned the original Shahar or not. So if we did, this is also mm-hmm. a different Shahar. No, because I think that historical discussion doesn't happen really until this book. Like, not in a noticeable uh, way. It does. Not I enough. don't remember if we talked about it. Yeah, don't think we did. So, Dakarta and Shahar, both named for people who died before they were born, but these are them in this book. Then we have Ramina and Remeth, Usin Dar, Entempis, Yin, Nahadoth, Ahad, Glee, Kal, lots of Aramari, also the Dar, and various godlings. For our first topic, we are discussing abandonment, specifically in the um, kind of taking the form of imprisonment and isolation, but with abandonment as the catalyst for the whole situation. Yeah, abandonment for is the the traumatic angle we are approaching this from. Yeah, because um, the the imprisonment was the method, mm-hmm. but abandonment was the the trauma, the goal. Yep. All uh, right. Feel sad about saying abandonment was the goal, but for this particular oh, case, this is deliberate it, and intentional. <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah, and not not great for Kyle or anyone else involved. Oh, it was, so it was what, great for <laughs> for a little while. No, it was um, great for C. It was good for. I mean, on the scale of gods, a couple thousand years is a little while. Uh, but for Kyle. Um, just in case you didn't read the book, Kal is the son of Sia, we will get to that later, who was locked away in another dimension for at least 2,000 years. Locked away so well that no one knew he was there to even look for him. Um, and he had no one else to interact with. Sia was made to forget Anifa was the only one who knew, and she is dead, has been dead for several thousand years. Yeah. Well, mostly dead. Slightly alive. She has, she has been not able to tell people that she did this I know. for several thousand years. I just really years. wanted to make the Princess Bride joke. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was not in that zone. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, so, Sia being forced to forget, you had brought up the point that it was good for Sia. <laughs> yeah, because it's the whole reason that he still exists. Mm-hmm. This was a question... So, here's the thing. This is a trauma that was definitely a... I mean, literally, the catalyst for... um the power and purpose and essence of call that he then became um it it literally defined his identity and and in these books your your god or godlings identity is everything that they are it is the source of their power it is the thing that sustains them it is the thing that allows them to function in a very real way it is everything 
about them as a personality, as a physical form, as a a source of, of free will and energy. It's everything. And so the fact that Carl's essence, so to speak, was shaped and formed by this trauma is huge. Um, but on the other hand, if you think about it this way, and this is a major spoiler, so I know we, I know we tell everybody, we tell you all that, that these sections are spoiler filled, but this is a major, major spoiler. So heads up. Um, the fact that, that Sia would have, would have died, would have disintegrated, would have just poofed out of existence if Call had been allowed to just exist without being locked away is huge. And so Enifa really had a choice here between killing her firstborn by allowing this other child to exist or locking him away and both of them live. And so it's it's wild, but thinking about it in that context, this was very much a deliberate trauma that was meant to mitigate a different, I would argue, greater trauma to someone else. Um, I would say, but also, it was, but also, Call's existence is is an irresponsibility in and of itself. Yeah, by on Enifa's part, right? Um, because isn't is it? Uh, he's the offspring of Enifa and Sia, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Sia as the personification of childhood, childhood and innocence, specifically childhood and innocence. Yeah, and so. He can, he, he, it's weird because he can have a lot of knowledge, but in since it's a very different quality and mm -hmm. we have talked about books that, um, deal with loss of innocence before and we're going to talk about loss of innocence in the section two, mm -hmm. but, um, Sia couldn't survive being a father and no. so call as the new person was abandoned and it, it's interesting because i i there's there's an emotional tendency that it's it's clear that the gods have here yeah. which is to to value the people you already know and are already close to even if some new person might be equally valuable if you had the same like duration of relationship with them uh, like yeah i would like, argue see that this I is think where that's at least a little bit at play I, like i it, mean it might be a little bit at play i don't know that would be that would be probably a question for the author because i don't think we're actually given enough information because enifa is not around for her perspective no but if you look but, at it like i don't actually think this was choosing her favorite necessary or, or even if it is it's not only that because no. this literally was a case between one of you snuffs out of existence or both of you survive. And Enifa picked the uh, both of you survive okay. with one of you having major trauma, but both of you surviving. Enifa chose the solution that kept both of her children alive. If That's she had been true. choosing one over the other, she could have snuffed Call out of existence. Or, mm -hmm. or just abort, like essentially aborted the pregnancy like she could have just done that she's also right. the goddess of death like she she could have just decided like no i choose you you need to go and instead she she chose the only solution where both of them survive because also ca would not have ca would not have survived being trapped and all alone <laughs> that's true I, like, I do think children at do least not survive little, being abandoned by their parents. I do think that at least a little bit of favoring the person who's already there, like, is in place, especially with how much emphasis is placed on him being the oldest of the godlings. Well, he is canonically her favorite. Yes, canonically from yes. every single person's perspective who comments on it. But also, yeah. but also, there's there it there really is that element of one of you dies or both of you live but if you both mm -hmm. are to live the father can't know about the child and like like there's so much of a like this is this is a very deliberate this is the trolley problem <laughs> this yeah. is a very deliberate like if you have the trolley problem and you set it up so that if the trolley oh, yeah. goes on one track 
it will kill somebody if the trolley goes on the other there's three tracks in this situation if the trolley goes on the other track it will kill the second person but if it goes down the middle one person will be damaged but alive and the other person lives yeah like what do you choose do you you know do you kill one person do you run over the head of the other person or do you just run over their feet well you just run over their feet i think this felt a little bit like the duration of relationship kind of a thing it i think maybe it felt to me like a little bit of that was in play because this is the kind of um like it's the kind of book for that. well it's it's the kind it's definitely the book for that whether or not it applies in this exact scenario yeah. and also it's just a conversation that comes up with my partner like randomly <laughs> oh okay all the time uh, and i'm uh, not saying so... that that didn't happen i'm just saying that logically oh, yeah. logically this was the everybody lives solution mm-hmm. it's just everybody lives and one person is so just, abandoned that they become the personification of vengeance. <laughs> like, but in terms of trauma, oh, I'm I'm uncomfortable with a solution that says, "Oh, everybody lives because we put one of you in solitary confinement." Good, and you have empathy. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> like, yeah, the, no, like, I, yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And I, I, this is a situation that, where every solution is a problem. There's no yeah. good solution in this particular instance. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I feel like the only, the only possible potential, and I don't even know if in, if in canon this would even have been a potential, the only possibility would have been that a different godling or god adopts a call as, as a surrogate father and, and no one ever knows except the person, except Enifa and whoever she chose to lie with her, uh, they would be the only two people who would know, and she would make Steve forget anyway. Right. Like, that would be the only solution. But I think, canonically, if I remember correctly in the book, and if it doesn't explicitly say this, it's definitely implied, um, there are only the four of them at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so there's it no one else it could have been. There's literally no one else it could have been, Except I, I feel like, like maybe she could have gotten Nahadoth to, to maybe do it. But the whole point of why, like, the whole point of why she had a child with Sie was because the other two were ignoring her. Like, I don't think there was, I don't think there was a this is fine solution. There was only bad options. Like a tempest, and tempest doesn't reveal information, but he also doesn't. He also lie. does not lie. <laughs> yeah, <Right. laughs> even when he really probably should. Like from yeah. a human, from a human perspective, when he really probably and should, Nahad- he cannot. Nahadoth might agree while he's in one mood, and then and then just, just not, not agree care. later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's the god of change. He might literally just be like, "Okay, this is good now." But tomorrow it's bad. Or sure. I don't feel well, you're not my real child, so today I don't care. Wait, I'm what? Like yeah, like that's but there's we don't getting, know. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and getting back to the themes of abandonment here, um this uh, abandonment and solitary confinement by magical means um shaped call into princess. the personification Hi. of vengeance. Yeah. Which I talk about aftercare. Yeah, and I I really really <laughs> I like how it is an exploration of the idea that this kind of event like there there's a lot of um there's a lot of real world discussion about how something like solitary confinement changes who someone is as a person. And some people who've been through that talk about how they are, they talk about it as now being a completely different person. And to the extent that this is a magical analog of a really thing, of a real thing that really is done to people. The it, magical it personification of the analog. <laughs> right. It, it expresses yeah. that and it, and it shows it in this like really interesting way. And in that context, the way this ends for Call is is very sad because oh yeah, like 
they every single thing that happened to him was someone else trying to pick the least bad of two bad options and him being on some losing size of it side of it every time yeah which i i think is a I would be shocked if it were a point made accidentally by this book. Oh, no, I would uh, given ass- how- I assume it's... Yeah. This book, uh, this whole series, it, this author is so intentional. Everything is everything is intentional, even things that you... This is definitely an author that's like, everything is intentional, even the things that you think were con- inconsequential the first read-through. Um, it's, yeah... It's it's so so deliberate, and and speaking of the trauma being abandonment, we also frequently the story just like leaves and just doesn't worry about Kalf for a while, and then just like only checks back with him when it's forced to. In a way, I just it feels like the th- abandonment becomes a tricky one to have a lot of concrete examples of because the biggest one is that he's constantly not there. And yeah, so it's 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 well done, it's resonant, it's all throughout the book. Um but there isn't much more to say about yeah, it because it's ahead. so well shown. Yeah, it's definitely one of those where um it's very they did a it's good very job. viscerally imi- uh um depicted. But it's a good thing. Oh yeah. Just viscerally something not being there is tricky. Yeah. But they did it. Alright. Alright. Stopping the recording. to Sia and Loss of Innocence. This is perhaps the most literal depiction of Loss of Innocence that we've had so far. Or um, that we will ever get, I think. Per- yeah, probably. Yeah, this this whole series has a very a very um, a very physical interpretation of almost every concept. If you were here for us with us for book two, then you saw that in the uh, morass of godlings. Yes. Of every kind. Um, so Sia is the deific personification of childhood. And he is the eldest child. And that comes up a lot, like the eldest godling. And I really, really like the nuance in how he discusses the way in which certain actions do or do not um, happen in a childlike way. And it seems to be kind of hinging around, like, responsibility. Like, if he does something, if he, like, like, as an example, if he, like, did something that helped somebody and he just, like, wanted to do it and it helped somebody, that's totally fine, super childlike, great. But if he does it, if he if he it's if like, he does it because it's the responsible thing to do, like or, it, that or if someone is him. telling him to do it, or if he if he keeps doing it past the point when he feels like it, now he's being grown up and mature and responsible, which is interesting because actually this book makes a distinction between making matured respo- choices and making responsible ones. And responsibility literally kills, if I remember correctly, responsibility literally kills him. Maturity, though... is fine. It's fine. As long as he's still following his whims. Right. If he can make a mature response in the moment, he's good to go. If he thinks it out and thinks ahead of time, I will be mature because I have to... Now he's he's done for. Yeah, like an impulsive maturity... Um is great. I, I really did like that. It's yeah. really funny, actually. Um, like he's he's legitimately, genuinely kind and thoughtful and caring. But if it's not impulsive and if it's not in the moment, then 
it's it's potentially a problem like he there there's several points in this book and other books to be fair but this is the first book where we really have it like as a as a point of view um where he thinks ahead of time this moment will come and here is the response that i feel like i'll make right now but if i commit to that i will lose myself so i won't commit right now and we'll see what happens Right, and then sometimes and then he sometimes does what he, he thought does he it. would, and sometimes, and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, but it's the and and also I love that he can plan things out if he's planning for them to be play. Right, like that's great. Like he can like plan something, but if he can make it a game, it's he's it doesn't matter if it's if it's responsible or mature or or, or anything else. If he can turn it into a game, it's all fine. Yep. Uh. And, like, doing childish things can help restore him. But yes. then also, uh, leaning in towards, with that loss of innocence, what he would need to be restored from, um, with the way that being responsible hurts him, one of the most responsible things possible in the, in the world of this book is having a child. Um, yeah. Which like makes sense totally in the context of this world and and it makes so, sense in the context of his persona too absolutely yeah because because inherently once you have a child you are the focus shifts well, you are responsible for them existing right even even if you give up your rights and you're not responsible for their life anymore in some and we and we don't that part is not actually explored in this book. I'm just taking it a step outside. Like even sure. if you gave up your right to to be part of a child's life or to to be responsible for them in an existential way, you are responsible that they exist and right. that level and that of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, that inherently is is his is, his um, antithesis. His antithesis, and so it 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 hurts him which is really funny because growing up is hurt to him so Mm -hmm. literally having a child ages him and then all of a sudden he's no he can't tap into his nature and so he loses his magic it's just a whole thing um but it's so logical and it's so well put together um i mean all of the godling and god powers are um they're very complete. Like they each yeah. like have a gestalt that's very much like kept to, uh, yeah. And the Lil way that Mike all of is funny, the way that all those interact with each other um, has a lot of really cool dynamics in the book. Yeah. So with so with generally how loss of innocence is handled here, we both have Sia trying not to lose his innocence and then we also have him being very wary of the innocence of children specifically because in addition to being the god of childhood that also makes him the god of children yes and so he in one of his interactions with with shahar um he's in one of his crueler moods very early on and he he does something where he's assuming that she's going to be a monster like the rest of the Aramari, and he does something that makes her lose a piece of her innocence, and so he has to give her something in recompense in order for it to not hurt him that yeah. he did that to her. And so I think it's important that it's that loss of innocence here is not focused only around Sia, but also on his impact on the world. But then if he takes that too seriously, then that wraps back around into responsibility. Right. Like it's a very complicated <laughs> like, to, like to in dynamic. order for him to set up that situation, he had to turn it into a game. It had to be fun for mm-hmm. him. Right. And and I, yeah. I think also like I don't remember if he's explicit he's not he's not explicitly like the god of cruelty, but no, he no. is definitely the god of of not caring about repercussions kind of well so i think uh i was thinking a lot about he how he embodies the very natural child the literal child like narcissism that oh yeah 
for like, in he the is real the center world, of like, his own world, which means he's the center of everything that happens and everything he does. And if it right. doesn't impact him negatively, he doesn't worry about it. It's fine, and he just doesn't yeah. care. Yeah, because because children have a kind of narcissism that is in the real world. It is that they their brains haven't matured enough to be able to think about how things affect other people. And that slowly going away, um, like it, like it, I mean, I mean, I mean, the idea, the idea in, in a very real and in this book, very literal way, the idea that everything you do impacts something else is a, a immature concept Mm -hmm. it's a maturity of your brain on a physical level it's maturity of your emotional it's it's a sign of emotional maturity and just seeing the impact that you have on the world and on other people and a huge part of him and his power and his set and his identity and his who he is is the ability to just go ah (laughs) whatever this, it's is, this weird. is what I wanted. It's fine. It's weird because having having made that turn like relatively recently in my own life, um, like having having known that it was a stage of childhood development that I was in while I was still in it, and then afterward, like before, I was like, "This is." what do you mean this is a thing? I don't have this. And then three years later, I was like, oh, nope, nope, I did. Totally did. Very different now. Yeah. The thing that happened is that my brain did more stuff. Um, (laughs) So I just, it, having, having recently like thought things in relation to that while I was in both sides of it, it made his delicate dance and his attempts to like straddle this line very finely. Like I felt that in a very visceral way because I'd had, I'd been lucky enough to have an awareness that it was going to be a thing. And then watching it happen in my own head was very trippy. Um, And. Mm Mm-hmm. For our third topic, we have what I pithily called Cycle of Violence, (laughs) Colonialism Edition. So this has been a theme throughout all three books, but we're talking about it in the third one because it's the point where we have the most information, the most examples, and we kind of get the culmination of this arc. Mm -hmm. So we weren't ignoring it in books one and two. That just wasn't the space for it yet. With the Ara Mary, we have the perspective of, we conquered you, and there has been no war with us since we conquered you, so we should stay in charge. Uh, which is very, <laughs> very colonialist from and the, uh, coloni- <laughs> from the, con- from the colonizer's side. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's the Ara Mary's modus operandi, and it's so, just like the mindset just so permeates everything that there's a bit where Shahar as an armary with a little bit of power, her instinct is to threaten violence against a people historically conquered and oppressed and killed by her people. She Mm -hmm. is to threaten violence. She doesn't intend to carry out in order to get what she wants. And she feels like it's fine because she's not going to do it. And Sia has to point out, that the Dar don't know that she's not going to do it, and it only has weight because this wouldn't be her first, her family's first genocide, and it wouldn't be her family's first time attacking and oppressing these people in particular. Yeah, like, this is not an empty threat, even if she at the moment doesn't feel like carrying it out. Yeah. Like, she's 100% relying on um, on the the structural supremacy of her conquering people and the fact that they are still in charge. Like if someone habitually hits someone, it's not better that they 
pretend they're going to and then don't one day. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's the the thing she's try she's doing, but at the scale of nations. Yeah. And yeah, then it's, it's very well done in a way, but but the thing about it is, it's not done in a way that is directly at least as far as i could tell i don't think it's done in a way that's directly mirroring like one-to-one anything in in real history like it's it's definitely its own its own story its own take its own implications and and the the godlings included kind of throw into more of that um and there's there's actually because we're talking about this only in book three, like I, I want to throw I want to kind of call back book sure. to book one and two just because like we waited until now to have this discussion. Um, this is also implicit in and and a direct not just implicit but explicitly stated as as also being kind of the um, the the reason why when the godlings were freed initially. There was fear right. from the Aramiri because their thought was, oh, well, someone has to be the conqueror. Someone has to be enslaved. Someone has to be in charge. And if they're free, we're going to be the slaves because we have to have one because this right. is how our system is set up. And they have to use our system because we're the ones that are, are more important. We're the ones that are good at this. And so then in book two, when that didn't happen, uh, there were just echoes in book two of the Aramiri that we saw kind of saying like, well, why didn't you enslave us? Why didn't you take our perfect system and flip it on us? And the godlings were kind of like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Just because you were trash (laughs) doesn't mean we want to be trash. Like, we don't like we, like we don't want that. We just want to live and be ourselves and be true to our own natures and but exist. And we don't gods... want anything to do with your 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 awful like conquistador slavery system that you've built. Just leave but us alone. <laughs> but there's definitely also elements of like it taking a while for the gods to figure out how to exist. Oh, definitely. That. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, they, they, there was definitely like, they had to kind of refigure out who they were without the slavery, but like, but there was this whole, there was this whole back and forth of like, well, someone has to be in control. Right. And now that you're free, why didn't you do that? It was just like this really, not, not necessarily like a, um, it's it's almost it's really almost like a, a out of context. It's almost a a call out to that mentality and that fear of like, oh well, you know, we're just if like because that's a real thing that happens. Uh, I mean, we're American. It happens yeah. all the time here in this country where you know if it's like, oh well, this this minority group is gaining more people in positions of power, and so then the person in the oppressive group literally is is scared because they treat the minority group badly and assume that every atrocity historically that that group has done to that minority is going to happen to them and it's a real conversation that like in our country happens because then they kind of get people that look at them and say hey this isn't the only way of doing things <laughs> like yeah. it's again it's that it's that point of like just because you're awful doesn't mean that everyone else has to be awful. And it's it's so well... That conversation just happens in such a clear, real way in this series. And it's just... It's very good. It's very well done. It's beautiful to read. Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really great. It reminded... The way you described that, the way that cycle happens... Um, in real life, like, it, it kind of, it reminded me of, of this thing that I um, read that said that um, cis people think cis is a slur because they use trans as a slur. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's that, that little, like, oh, no, you're doing the thing to us <laughs> that we did to you. 
And oh no, because you have to be. We have to figure out what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or or even um like white people being upset with cracker or Karen. Like, no, these aren't slurs, guys. Does, like, no, hey, these aren't. Just because just because somebody else came up with a word to describe a certain way that you were acting doesn't mean you're being oppressed. Yeah, it doesn't. Like it's it's the it's the same conversation. It's yeah. Yep. Um, so then we have kind of part two because we mentioned that makes that me this want Karen a- memes with the Aramiri. I want both. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen, but I would laugh very, very hard if I came across one in in the internet <laughs> wild, so to speak. <laughs> if anyone um, loves this series and is good at memeing, hit me up. Tag me on Twitter, <laughs> uh, please. Don't don't tag me. Technical. Uh, <laughs> tag specifically books that burn. <laughs> hashtag Nicole because I want to see these. I uh, want this. Um, you. You enjoy those. Uh, okay, so then part of this in these books being a cycle of violence is um, on the Dar's side. And to be clear, the Dar are not the only people the R and Mary have oppressed. Correct. They just are kind of centered in these books because Yeen is, was a Dar when she was a human. I think it's more um, than that, but that well, is they are kind of the center society that we learn the most about. There is there is more than that, but in terms of like plot importance to all the characters involved, there is a there is sense, an element of that. Yeah, there is. There's definitely this complicating element where one of the Aramaris go- gods literally was a Dar while they were alive. That's there's yeah. I'm just saying. Like, I don't think that's. That, I don't think that's all of why. I think it's just no, part no, no. Of it. That's not all of it, but that is yeah. definitely part. And so. Um, the Dar, their perspective is kind of, well, you, the Aramari, conquered us, and you tried to keep us from being ourselves, so we should conquer you to stop you from conquering others ever again. And there's a there's very much a tension in the book where the we mostly have the Aramari's perspective on this, or the perspective of people who are closer to the Aramari than the Dar. And yeah. so there's this definite like fear and tension of Oh no! Are th- are the Dar going to do to the Aramari what the Aramari did to everybody? Which is anything from um, just general conquest to specific genocide, wiping out an entire culture. Yeah. Um, and since the Aramari have been so terrible. And now the Dar have access to godlings, um, even without the involvement of Kal, the Aramari know that the Dar would have possibly have godlings, and godlings are how, how the Aramari did all their bad stuff. They've got this, like, real fear and tension that it's going to be just as bad for them as it was for everybody else. And the I really, really like the way the book handles it and the way that it kind of makes a real effort towards stopping that cycle of violence in a a a very purposeful way um and if you have if you're intending to read these after listening to this episode like i don't want to spoil that because it it just it's very good i feel like it was appropriate it works super well Mm -hmm. and um want to leave that since the main thing i have to say about it is that it's super well handled Mm -hmm. um but i just this mentality of oh no what if you do exactly what we did to everybody else for thousands of years yeah. <laughs> like the worst thing for the Aramari would be if literally anyone else acted like the Aramari. Yeah. And that's why colonialism is terrible. Uh <laughs> <laughs> not, not the only reason, but it's definitely that's, a That's one of the reasons. One of the big yes, reasons. Yes. Yeah. With so many podcasts out in the world, you have a plethora of options. Take a chance with Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. Mixing comedy with an academic look at film and Hollywood culture, this podcast is perfect for those looking for a fresh perspective. 
From deep dives into classic films, to debates on digital streaming versus physical media, and film discussions based on randomly chosen topics in our What Are We Talking About segments, there's something to satisfy all your movie podcast cravings. So if you're feeling lucky or feel the need for speed, grab your shaken martini or some fava beans and a nice Chianti and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. For more content, visit amoviepodcast.com, find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions, and on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Too Many Captains, the jolliest bunch of podcasters this side of the nuthouse. to the wrap-up and ratings for abandonment for the gratuity rating this is uh, this is off screen mostly what do you uh, think compl- i would argue completely like technically the abandonment is completely off screen and then when the um ricochet from the abandonment occurs I guess that's yeah. That's a separate trauma. That it's, isn't what that we're is talking a about. Trauma. The yeah. The actual yeah. abandonment is completely backstory. Backstory and off screen. Yeah. Um. To the extent that any of it technically is still occurring during the timeline of the book. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Just. It's hard to show someone not doing something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for the loss of innocence. Um, in terms of this, I, I would argue, I think that the scenes with the kids early in the book make it somewhere between moderate and severe. I think it's severe. Okay. I think it's severe and depicted to be severe. Yes. Purposefully. Like very, 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 very intentionally. Yeah. For the cycle of violence. Also Um, severe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a very particular thing of it yep um definitely now for integral interchangeable or irrelevant the abandonment is integral yep loss of innocence is integral cycle of violence is integral yeah yeah but yeah there's no i i don't think there is any trauma that i can think of across this entire series that is less than integral. I can't think of a single thing that you could interchange and not have it directly impact the plot of the story. Checking your notes. I don't know if you can check your notes for the previous two books. Did we list everything as integral for those two? I'm looking at that right now, actually. We... Uh Well, we said... Actually, no. We did say that ostracization and atmosphere of cruelty were interchangeable. But I think uh-huh. we also had, like, a really long... In, in book one, I think we had a really... If I remember correctly, we had a really long conversation about that because I thought that they were all integral. Yeah. And then you argued that, like, the super specific, precise examples were in, were inter, were interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. But the right. concept of it was integral. So, yeah. Um, and then we wrote down interchangeable because you could have technically given different examples. <laughs> yeah but yeah so, like they're for this general, entire book this entire series mm-hmm. everything we've listed is integral yeah in broad strokes the tom the traumas are integral and then yeah i like certain scenes could have definitely been written differently but that's not the point yeah yeah and i i definitely i really like that in the series because it feels like there's no wasted space it makes it not not that it's bad if if a if a book has interchangeable or irrelevant traumas, but if a book doesn't have any integral ones and only has interchangeable or worse only irrelevant traumas, right? Um, that that starts feeling bad. We um, actually but this is- had this discussion before we started recording because mm-hmm. uh, Robin was kind of saying um, that books where all of the traumas are are less than integral start feeling just they start feeling like you just want me to feel bad yeah without like an aim to it yeah or worse where the point is wanting the reader to suffer but with this it feels like you want them to understand suffering yes uh, of different kinds which has a very 
has a very different feel, and um, I appreciate it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, this is, not this that it's is bad, definitely. Not that it's, this is definitely a book where the characters go through things in or the, a series, not just a book, where characters go through things in incredibly viscerally depicted, and 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 existential or conceptual ideas are depicted very literally um and so you see physical literal effects on characters for things that normally in our real tangible world uh would have been purely conceptual um Mm -hmm. so yeah i I mean things like i'm not gonna not not plot spoiler things but just as a couple of examples we have a minor character who i don't think we ever actually have as a character that we talk about specifically, but we have, there's a, a godling uh, named Lil whose essence and powers mm. are derived from hunger. Yeah. And that doesn't, that isn't necessarily just food, but it can be. But she is hungry yeah. all the time, forever, because that's who she is. She is hunger. Mm-hmm. And, and she's not, and it's, and it's, sometimes it's food and she is hungry to devour. But also... You, metaphorically, look tastier to her when you are hungry for something. Maybe it's food, Uh maybe it's power, maybe it's money, maybe it's security, maybe it's... doesn't matter. If you are hungry for something, you start looking more and more like a meal to her, and she wants... She is now hungry for you. And it's, it's very... It's just... It's things like that where... But she's not that... She's not just a, like a thought <laughs> you know she's a real right. concrete character with a physical form whose teeth get longer and sharper and hungrier when she's around someone who is hungry for something and it's 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 very very good and it's very well depicted and every single every single godling and character is is like this it's re- just it's just really good <laughs> yeah and as to things being treated with care I think the abandonment, there are places where... I think it was treated with almost too much care. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a (laughs) lot of, there's a lot of a description and raw emotion, but like, we don't, the whole, we don't have, like, it definitely dances around it a lot. I would, I would argue that this character mm -hmm. arc, because... It is not because the trauma does not define the character's essence. And that's all I will say. Right. And the character arc is around this character's essence based on the trauma, but not about it. I would argue that this particular depiction, this character's trauma of abandonment is also abandoned in the text intentionally which i realize yeah. might sound like i'm talking in circles but i promise i'm not no like we mentioned that abandonment is difficult but i think it's when, intentional when, i think when, we don't explore yeah. the d- abandonment we explore other things in the book because the point is that this character has been abandoned and that includes by us the reader yeah like it's hard to know I don't it's know if the author to to would, what would state it that way or not. I have no clue. But that's how I read it. That's how I interpreted it. Like, because at a certain point, it's hard to know whether a lack of description is care for the reader. But I think it depends on the it's... trauma. And I think in this trauma, no, no, I, think, for it's, this one, I yeah. think it's mirrored in how the character is not talked about also. I think it's very, very deliberate. I think this piece is something that we okay. know, but we don't get a chance to acknowledge it as as an audience. And I think that that's deliberate because, again, everything in the series is so literal and so physical that I think this character was abandoned. And then we as an audience are forced to abandon them again by never actually talking about that abandonment. Like, I think that that's intentional. I think, I think it's intentional. And if it wasn't, yeah. it played out beautifully anyway. So the one thing that makes me shy away from describing it with care is because it, because where it exists, it is so literal. I mean, it's, I it's either it care or it's lot. either zero care. It's one of the two. I feel like it's zero care because when it's talked about and depicted, 
it, it seems like the kind of thing that could resonate very badly for someone who who, who has was waiting for the character similar to get that parallel. Closure. Yeah, who yeah. has similar parallel traumas. You will not get catharsis for this. No. Not even a little you bit. You won't. Yeah. And so I think it's zero care. Um, oh, I think that makes it's intentional. Sense I don't think it's bad, but I do think it's zero care. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. I just, I would, I just, argue, I'm arguing, I guess, that it's, it's definitely not in the middle. <laughs> oh, no, not in the middle. But I, I think none. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll agree. I'll agree with that. Um, for loss of innocence. Um, uh, care. I care. Either enough care. I think. I think. I think. I think enough care, because I think this particular character has so much care heaped upon them, both by other people and also by themselves, trying desperately to care for themselves. Like we see this character losing their innocence and intentionally uh undergoing self-care routines to retain who they are yeah and figure I out also, who they are like i think it's I, this character gets and this trauma gets so much care and so much aftercare every time and it's just so good though i do want to make sure to keep in mind um loss of innocence both inflicted and received and it's inflicted that i'm concerned about i'm not sure if the points where they I, either inflict or almost inflict loss of innocence on someone else that's what i would use as my gauge of whether this is handled with care i would also overall. argue that that's not the aspect we talked about it based on okay all right so so yeah so there are instances of loss of care in this series that are not handled with or loss of instances of loss of innocence in this series that are not handled with care but i would say that the overarching loss of innocence arc trauma okay is handled with care that was that was what we actually talked about in our sure yeah um i'm good with that i prefer a little more to settle it enough but also like this isn't gonna (sighs) this is a hard one because the bits where it's it's talking about loss of innocence aren't the things that would inflict loss of innocence on the reader. Um, yeah. This, this is a very, very sexually explicit series. We haven't talked about that a whole much up until now. This is a very explicit series with a lot this, of sex, a lot is, of discussion about sex. It's really well done. This is not a book for children. This is not a book for children. Which is partly why I think that this character who is a who is inflicted with a loss of innocence is treated with care. Because yep. if this character and their actions were in a children's book, this would 100% not be treated with care. But this is not. This is in a book for adults with adult sure. themes and, a, and it's geared toward adult experiences mm-hmm. and adult and so understanding a certain... of a lot of different concepts. And so I think, yeah... Given a- <laughs> given a baseline of i wouldn't recommend this to anyone under 16 yeah this was treated with care yeah okay cool i'm good with that for the cycle of violence i i think enough yeah enough i think it does um, a really good job of kind of shielding the reader from for lack of a better phrase backlash trauma if this is if the if if the characters being if if the characters who this violence is being inflicted on resonate with you as a reader and with your your past history for whatever whatever part of who you are and your identity and your history this would resonate with i think it does it does a pretty good job of kind of shielding the reader from feeling the same feelings there's there's enough that's like out of context there's of our real world there's enough of like this is a fake situation and we have magic and we have these other things that that distance the reader from feeling like oh that could be me i think there's enough of that but also there's there's also enough of explicit conversation and context for the world and in the books where it's definitely not just 
treated with care. Like I like it's definitely something where you read it and you know what they're talking about. There is no ambiguity. Yep. There is no oh well maybe they didn't mean it that like none of that. It is incredibly mm-hmm. in your face and it is incredibly upfront and honest and straightforward and characters who straight up say out loud I am continuing this cycle because I'm supposed to and because right. it it is what my people do or what like there is enough like graphically graphically lose, used here kind of in a weird way but enough like graphic the, the- depictions of of this cycle of there's violence enough, and of colonialism. There's enough specific discussion of it that even though we don't see in the book many... We don't see in the book you don't the watch, history that led to all of this, but yeah. it definitely conveys the weight of that. Um, yes. So I'm good with enough care. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's enough protection for the reader without trivializing the characters yeah. in the story if that makes sense yep like the trauma is or given the- full weight but there's definitely like a barrier there <laughs> yeah for the point of view it is sia except for a very short segment where it is someone else yeah pretty much for the whole book Hmm. i think like for all of these yeah, um, the only reason there there's a, a plot specific reason where very briefly it's not Sia. Um but I'm gonna just say that. But for for at least all the traumas we talked about, those are just from Sia's perspective in this particular book. Yeah. Um but when we need to, we do get someone speaking about their perspective on other specific things related to these traumas, um, in a good way. Uh, for and that yeah that's just it for all three of these for the aspiring writer tip do you have one um i would say kind of based on this series as a whole if you're writing and you have an idea for a depiction of an idea or a concept just because it doesn't match the way you're quote-unquote supposed to display it doesn't mean that it's not going to make sense to your readers. And not to be afraid of experimenting with how you show different things. Um, Like this book, for example, this book depicts conceptual ideas as people. Um, But at the same time, those concepts... Like, these these characters have free will outside of those existential ideas and those conceptual ideas. And the characters in this book are given the free will to choose between following their natures and not. Mm-hmm. And they have the ability to, to deny themselves, so to speak. Um, but that doesn't change who they are. That doesn't change the essence of them. And so... Even when a character deliberately says, I am not going to act according to the driving force inside me, it's, it doesn't ever stop you as a reader from, from knowing and feeling the weight of, of, of what that character is bound to. And yeah. that is such a, a, a wild thing to put in a book, in, especially because at least a lot of the books that, that, um, that I've seen that try and put like, you know, I, I've seen other books take concepts or or emotions and turn them into characters, and I have never seen a book do it as well as this one. Like I've seen books where you know you would definitely read them and kind of go, oh well, I mean I guess it made sense, but in this one it it works, and it's yeah. also I also know I know that this is like a thing that at least a lot of writers here where you know like well there's a there's a particular way to do this or there's there's a way there's a trope that you have to follow here if you want your your readers to get it or you know if you don't do it this way you're wrong or if you don't do it this way it's not the right genre and there's like mm-hmm. there's there's rules that you're that you learn and and there's there's sometimes backlash if you break those rules and i would i would argue that that this book is a very good example of 
of you not needing to follow those rules if you can make it make sense. Yeah. And, you know, don't like, don't be afraid of, of, of playing with concepts like that. Favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Uh... Non-traumatic? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the trick. Lots of favorite things. I don't think things. there is anything in this book that is non-traumatic. Everything I... has the weight of some trauma. Every action is painful for everybody <laughs> in this entire series. And I okay. don't remember what I said for the other two books, but I, f- I stand by that statement. Sure. Okay. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> Trauma adjacent thing I appreciated. I liked the solution for the cycle of violence. I think it was well handled. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. But my, one. okay, my favorite, my favorite non-traumatic thing um, at least not one of the traumas we talked about here, um, <laughs> is the coda and the events therein and the way this wraps up for Sia and Dakarta and Shahar. I, yeah. I love the ending. It's really good. It could have it so easily could have felt trite or cheap, and it just it doesn't. doesn't. No, it, it makes feels really sense. Good. It it feels great. It feels appropriate. It's exciting, and it just it's like there there is a like there there is a short story like a sequel novella to this trilogy that we're that I haven't read yet, but I am going to. But mm-hmm. even without that, if it if I didn't have that, and this was the only, and I only had these three books, I'd be like, you know what? I'm good. I like where this wrapped up. This was amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm content. I'm excited for the characters, but uh, I'm good. I have enough, and just that kind of like peace and calm, especially after such a tumultuous trilogy, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Um, is nice and I like that. It just I don't know, kind of like the some of the best aftercare in a series this just dense with darkness. Um, I really like it. Yeah. Have I stolen yours or did you figure out a different one? Oh no, I have a different one. <laughs> okay. Um I I think I'm gonna actually stick to this one is again not necessarily a trauma we talked about, but there is so little in these books that is not traumatic for somebody mm-hmm. um even the good parts are like there's something almost every time I, I say good like positive for the characters like positive things sure. for the characters still have traumatic repercussions um like even the even the temple scene with Takarta and Sia isn't isn't, tr- isn't trauma free of that yeah yeah um yep I just I might even have said this before and I don't care I really like the the powers and the way they're handled. I really like the logic behind the magic in the world. I really like the lore, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the gods. Um, I really like the way the gods and the godlings' powers are handled. I also really like, um, and this isn't really a spoiler, it's just kind of intrinsic to the Matrix in this book, or of this book, but... Um, I really like the logic behind which godling gets which magic and wh- how their natures are defined. I like that mm-hmm. it's not arbitrary. I like that it is kind of a mix of who they of their parentage and also their experiences. Um, and I also enjoy that the godlings have to figure out what their natures are bound to. Uh, this is not a series where the gods wake up and go i am the god of love (laughs) like no they have to find it for themselves and if they mess up and do something that is contrary to their nature they get hurt and they don't even know why yet and it's like it's just a very tangible physical conceptualization of this and i really like it and and as somebody who in real life i'm an incredibly tactile person um i i dance i do martial arts i play instruments i i have synesthesia i i feel smells as textures and i feel like sound as sensations like physical touch in my ear 
I I like glass blowing and metalworking and woodcraft. Like I'm I'm physical. I'm a very very incredibly tactile person. And I really just appreciate how tactile the powers are and how they feel when you're reading them. Like like yeah. in a physical sensation in my head kind of a way. Like I I'm I, I think in 3D. I pick things up in my head and turn them and rotate them and touch them and move and shift them and pull them and 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 this book really scratches that like sensory itch for me. Which is weird because it's a book and I'm reading it. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but I just I really like that and it really like it hits all those like tactile sensory points in my brain that usually only like picking up something physical and touching it and moving it and pulling it would actually do. But this book does that for me and I, I really appreciate it and I really like it. I, I say this book, this whole series, all of it. <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the last book of this trilogy. So uh, we'll catch you in a fortnight. Patrons look for the epilogue next week. And everyone else uh thank you so much for joining us all music used in this podcast was created by nicole as heartbeat art co and is used with permission you can follow us on twitter at books that burn all one word you can email us with questions comments or book recommendations at books that burn at yahoo.com support us on patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out you can leave us an itunes review this helps people to find the show and find us on itunes stitcher google play or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks